Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, you guys. Warm spring weather is right around the corner. I just know it. I just know it is. And breeders are starting to plan their litters for the year. So visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PureDogTalk to take $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. The Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit tests for more than 210 genetic health conditions, highlights breed-specific results, includes more than 35 traits, these are things like coat color and body size, and it's the only DNA test to use to get your genetic COI score. Embark also provides breeders with a suite of tools in their My Embark online experience with DNA health summary reports, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and group tags for your dog's profiles so you can sort by sire and dam, litter, health status, any tags you want to create. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PureDogTalk. Take $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PureDogTalk. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And we have back today, you guys, Stephanie Seabrook-Hedgepath, who has been gracious enough to join me and do this series of conversations talking about anatomy in our dogs. And this is, as I just was telling Stephanie, such a geek out thing for me. And she and I geek out on it together. So you guys get the benefit of our, <laughs> of our, our geekiness. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So welcome back, Stephanie. It's great to be back, as usual. And so today I thought we would talk about the top line. And I think this is a confusing thing for folks, particularly folks that are new to dogs and new to the concept of dogs and reading standards and looking at dogs in the ring. And the top line, as we just said, is the entire spinal column, which basically is from the tip of the occiput to the tip of the tail. Absolutely. You got it. And it is basically the spine, the spinal column. And a lot of people, like we were just talking about, confuse the term back line with the term top line. Right. And the back line is basically what you may consider to be the back of the dog, like the withers to the set on of the tail. But the top line starts at behind the ears, right at that bump, which is called the occiput, like you said, of the skull. And then it just goes all the way down. It's like a suspension bridge. Mm-hmm. It goes all the way down, all the way back, and all the way down the tail. Now, in my breed, 
we don't have a tail. So it stops at the, at the set on of the tail or whatever, if there's one vertebrae or whatever. But the whole thing is all connected. It's like the links in a chain. And that, to me, is what's so interesting. And it's not a rigid thing. Mm -mm. Have you ever seen those wooden snake things you can buy in the store and you pick them up and they throw them down? Well, it's kind of like that. They're connected, but they're not fused together. Correct. Independent. Each one of them are independent. And when you talk about suspension bridges, I spent a lot of time in Washington State. And we have suspension bridges there. You betcha. And when you watch that bridge, it moves. It is flexible. And it better be flexible. (laughs) That's what keeps it there. Exactly. We could talk about the one that fell down in a windstorm. But anyway, Uh, that would be a squirrel. And we're trying to avoid those today. (laughs) That's right. We're going to try to be serious today. And none of our, yeah, right. None of our squirrely little things. So let's take this piece by piece. So from the occiput down the neck to the set on of where the shoulder blades come up, that whole thoracic area. All right. Well, I want to start with the neck. Okay. We'll just talk a little bit about the neck too. The neck in mammals, there are seven cervical vertebrae. And the interesting thing is that the way the dogs can differ from dog to dog is in length of neck. But when you stop and think about it, they all have the same length of neck. It's cervical vertebrae. There's seven of them. Even a giraffe has seven cervical vertebrae. Now, I did not know that. Yes, ma'am. What the difference is, is the size of the vertebrae. And a lot of us think, you know, you look at a dog and you see his profile and you think, gosh, he's got a short neck. It's a little stuffy neck. No, he's got the same seven vertebrae as, you know, all the other dogs in his class. But because of the positioning of the scapula, you know, if a dog is upright in scapula, it'll cover that up and it'll hide it. So, yeah, they've all got the same length of neck, but it is manifested in different ways because of the rest of the structure of the dog. And the thing I just fascinates me about the neck are the first two vertebrae. They're atlas and axis. Okay. Okay. Think about the atlas. It's a Mm -hmm. big one. It looks like a wing. And atlas held the weight of the world on his shoulders. Okay. So, and it's doing what you're doing right now. It's what we call the nose. Is the one that you go side to side. And then the next one is the axis. And it fits in and kind of swivels around in the atlas. And it's the yes, the up and down. So. To me, that's fascinating. But then we go on down, you know, it's the same number of vertebrae. And so it's the same number of vertebrae, but going back to your giraffe analogy, your Great Dane has larger vertebrae than your Chihuahua. Yeah, or in a whippet, they have longer. They have Mm -hmm. longer vertebrae in their neck and they have that beautiful, elegant, okay. And so that, what's funny is it comes down and it dips and it goes back up to be joined with the thoracic vertebrae. And with the thoracic vertebrae, they start out, the spines are very long, their spines on the top. Mm-hmm. I always laugh and say, if you look at a vertebrae from the side, it looks like a little thing from outer space. I always think it looks like a stegosaurus. Yeah. The dinosaur that had the pokey things. Yeah. Yeah. So 
what all of this does, they're all different. All of them, the thoracic vertebrae, the first ones are higher and then they get lower, shorter as we go down and then they join into the back. Now, we have cervical vertebrae, that's the neck. Then we have thoracic vertebrae and I think, what, 13 of those. Again, I don't do numbers well. (laughs) (laughs) I never have. It's just, I know they have more. But they serve very important things. And the withers, actually, we don't have withers in a dog. We have withers in a horse. But that's okay. When all these standards were written, they were written by people who understood horse and right. They were so, all horse people. <laughs> you betcha. So they have the higher wither, and that blends down in to the back line. And there are many different functions of the spinal cord. One of the most important in the thoracic is that they join the ribs, fit into the spine, go down and join the sternum at the bottom and make a solid piece. So then we have all these thoracic vertebrae and the ribs fit into those thoracic vertebrae. And that requires a lot of muscling. And we also then, we go down to the end of the thoracic vertebrae and get to the lumbar, which is like our loin. If you think of yourself from your rib to your hip joint, you don't have any ribs there. Ours is usually shorter than theirs. And the other thing you got to realize with the loin area is that's the only part of the dog where the internal organs are not protected by this outer armory of the ribbing. A dog is very vulnerable in that area. The dog with a really long loin is one who's more prone to injury. But anyway, so we do that. We have the real high spine of the thoracic vertebrae and then going down. And then there's a spot All those spinal vertebrae and the first ones in the thoracic vertebrae, they're all thoracic vertebrae. They're pointing toward the rear end of the dog. They don't go up straight. You know, they're a little bit straighter. The ones under the wither are a little bit straighter. But they gently point back toward the back of the dog. And then you get about in the middle of the dog, about the 13th vertebrae, and all of a sudden they flatten out a little and they start pointing the other way toward the head of the dog. And when you think about it, that's kind of a juncture. And that's where the muscling is attached. And there's so much muscling up on the front. So those thoracic vertebrae have to be really high to be able to attach all that muscling to, because when you stop and think about it, the only way that front assembly is held on to the dog at all is through muscles and ligaments. Mm -hmm. So you get to your anticlinal vertebrae, which is where they change direction. A lot of people call it a dip. You, what do you call it? I call it the connect. I don't even remember who I learned it from, but it's the way I saw it spelled was K-N-I-C-K. I I have no idea where or why, but it's always been in my head. I think it's a combination of a connection and a nick. Right. I like it because it's descriptive. It's very descriptive. But in most dogs, you can't feel any of this stuff. I mean, unless it's very, very thin. 
on Afghans, it's real easy to feel. Right. Many of the sight hounds, we see some of this. And we were talking earlier, one of the breeds I always like to use as an example when we're talking about top lines is the Spinoni, because it very specifically says that at the 11th vertebrae, there is this. Yeah, you can feel it and you should be able to feel it. You have to be able to see it see when it. they're I was moving. Just about to say. It should be the same standing as it is moving. Yes. And it's not yes. a Grand Canyon. No. And it's not a board. It's very subtle. It's definitely there. Yeah. And all the breeds have that. Mm-hmm. But some of them, the Spinoni, they pointed out. They want you to know the muscle. Right. They talk about it in that particular breed. They talk about it as a hinge. Because the breed worked in mountainous country, and that was what gave them. And I think it's really fascinating because you see a similar emphasis on it in the Afghan hound that also worked in mountainous country. Well, that, I mean, in a lot of breeds, really, because it's a lot of the twist and the turn Mm -hmm. and the ability to do so. If you don't have that area, then you're going to have a stiffness to the whole thing. And again, Mm -hmm. we go back. They are not fused together. Right. But they are joined together like a chain. Mm-hmm. They interact with each other. Right. And it's really important because top line tells a definite tail. And I mean, T-A-L-E, not yes. the longest, yes. uh, about the function of the dog and also about the condition of the dog. Mm-hmm. Vizla's called definitely for a slight rise over the loin. Yep. Most of the time you can't see it, but I'm telling you, as a judge, you better be able to feel it because that is muscling. Yes. You know, that's where they want a whole lot of muscle attachment to that whole area right there because that's where all the power comes from. Right. And I think that's really fascinating. And when we talk about, so we've got into the lumbar and then we're going to go down the tail and the sacral arch and some of those things. Mm -hmm. But those lumbar vertebrae that are over the loin, which, as you say, is the part that's unprotected, yet so many of, say, are galloping hounds, right? The Irish wolf hound, the greyhound, some of these other breeds that are designed to gallop. That loin is super strong, has that gentle rise, like we talk about with the Vishla, maybe a little more pronounced. Yeah. And that's where the drive and power of their double suspension gallop comes from. Yeah, I consider all those, I call them flat and fat, those vertebrae, because they do, they have to hook the whole dog together. Mm -hmm. And it's got to have a surface area for all these muscle attachments. And, you know, muscles are just amazing. And big sheets of them and each individual one and all of them lead somewhere else and help to put the whole dog together and hold it together so it doesn't fall apart. (laughs) But Again, it can also be very indicative of what's going on with the dog when they're in motion. Most breeds, you can almost feel where the change is. You can definitely find the beginning of the thoracic vertebrae if you just put your hand and go down the neck, and you can feel the bump where the neck goes in between the shoulder blades to that thoracic vertebrae. Then, if you feel on down further, you can pretty much most of the time find that niche right there where it's supposed to be. And like in Spinoni, that's one of their hallmarks. That's a breed Mm -hmm. characteristic. And it's there for a purpose, like you said, because the dog, they're big dogs. 
Yes, they are. A lot of dog there. Yes, they are. And a lot of big dogs are not very limber. And yet the Spinoni has to be able to move and turn and twist and everything else. To me, it's a fascinating breed. It's a great breed. breed. As someone who lives with a number of them, it really is a cool breed. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Okay, so we've got through the lumbar, over the loin, every breed has a different distinction. And then one of my favorite connections, if you will, in the dog, when we're talking about hold everything together, is what they call that lumbosacral arch, right? Where the lumbar vertebrae come into the sacrum, which is the bones there in the pelvis. Yeah, the last three vertebrae before you hit the caudal, in other words, the tail. Mm-hmm. That is, they're fused. It's the only three they're fused together. All right. And that is the sacrum. That's what mm-hmm. you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That is the croup. Yes. That's the croup of the dog. And the sacrum really only speaks to the croup of the dog. But what's important about the sacrum is it is fused to the hip, it is fused to the pelvis, to the upper wing of the pelvis on each side. Mm-hmm. Now, it moves. It can move. It's not so fused together that it can't have some motion in it. Not much, but it'll have a little bit of give in it. But compare it to the front assembly. Mm -hmm. There is no no connection (laughs) other than, now this is bones we're talking about Mm -hmm. in the back. Mm -hmm. So the bone of the sacrum the last three vertebrae is literally fused to the hip, the pelvis. And that's because a whole lot of energy has got to be pushed all the way through that spine up to the front of the dog. And I always jokingly talk about my son was a pole vaulter. And when I really started paying attention, you know, we would go to all the meets and I'd watch him. And I realized that what they're doing is the rear end is really pole vaulting the dog over the front end. Now, I'm not saying the front end doesn't have something to do with, you know, reaching out and grabbing and all that, but it's mostly so the dog doesn't take his head and push it into the ground. (laughs) It keeps it up so they can actually get to the game. But that's an important thing to understand. And breeds do vary. In Pembroke, we want a flat croup because those with tails it's up and over. It's mm-hmm. a high tail set. Okay. So that speaks to the tip. But we want the regular angle of the pelvis. Right. So the angle of the pelvis and then the angle of the croup may be the same, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're different. Mm-hmm. 
And right. this is something else you need to understand for your own breed. And, you know, the Spitz type dogs go back to flatter, right. proof, upright tail. Terriers, all yes. of those kind of breeds have that super flat set on of the crew. And then you look at your hounds or some of your sporting dogs where there's going to be a gentle rounding of the croup. And so then the tail, which is, as you say, the caudal vertebrae, the last bit of it, whether it's docked, whether it's not docked, whether it's carried up or down or whatever it is, that's all the extension of that entire spine. Yeah. And really everything is purposeful in a dog. It was funny because just the other day I was reading, I don't even know if you, Al Hugh was Mm -hmm. one of the top pointer all time. I tell show people all the time and they roll their eyes at me that yeah. Snakefoot, the making uh, of a yeah. champion as a breeding Bible, you don't have to make L. Hugh pointers, but as a breeding Bible, that is yeah, one of the greatest books of all time. I just read an article he had written about breeding pointers because, you know, I had pointers for about mm-hmm. years, but I was trying to find a quote that I thought came from him and I'm still not sure I've found it yet. And I was reading this article, and he was doing a lot of discussion at the point about so many of the pointers were being crossed with the hounds, and it was weren't really pointers. And so with pointers, you always want to breed away from hound characteristics. Correct. And, you know, it's the same thing with so many different breeds. Pembroke and Cardigan. Mm-hmm. Cardigan mm-hmm. goes back to the Bassett-type. Peckle hounds and the Pams go back to the Spitz. And personally, I believe that one of the little Aboriginal dogs running around Wales was a dwarf. So, you know, they'd bring over these hounds and they'd bring over these Spitz type dogs and, you know, you to improve Mm -hmm. what they have to do. And they wound up with these two separate and distinct breeds from neighboring counties, no less. Right. But again, all of this to me is so much, whether we're breeding dogs, whether we're showing our dogs, whether we're judging dogs, the entire point of this conversation is for people to understand when I say, you know, the whippet is a series of S curves and what does that entail? Or when we talk about the Spinoni having a break at the 11th vertebrae in a 30 degree croup and a level underline. Those are hallmarks of those breeds that were created, developed, and enhanced in order to make them better able to do the job that they were created for. Their specific job of their specific area. Yes. That's why we have so much difference. And the cardigans, to me, cardigans and Pembrokes are such a great example of that because they were from slightly different areas, but still Mm -hmm. different areas and did as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, different jobs. Well, they basically did the same thing. I mean, they okay. were all around farm dogs, both okay. of them. But I think the cardigans were the ones quite often, well, both of them, they would drive stock to market. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the majority of the crofters in Wales at that time, the king owned all of the land. So they would pay their taxes so they could use part of that land. And in the morning, there's even a poem about the Pembroke Corgi, about how it goes out in the morning before the cattle to run all the other cows off of his master's pasture so that his cows could go out and eat. 
But the majority of people at that time, again, this is history, people. Mm-hmm. you got to understand it. Purebred dogs are history and they are art. They're living history. Yes, yes they are. But most of the people, the farmers of that day, had never been more than five, maximum 10 miles from their homes. And what they do to make a living, they've let all these cattle out. You know, the Welsh black cattle could eat just about anything. Mm-hmm. And they would take them to the local market. And every area had its town, and that was the mm-hmm. local market. And then the drovers, the Welsh drovers, would go from town to town to town to town to these markets, buying up the cattle. And then they would use their other dogs, but they would use the corgis as well, because I found one reference in a history book about the drovers and their yapping corgis. (laughs) And they would drive them over the mountains and to the markets in London. Wow. Wow. And the drovers became the bankers. If you notice in the, I think it's a National Bank of Wales, their logo is a black Welsh cow because the drovers would take the money from the people. Mm -hmm. If they say, well, I need this and this and this, can you buy it for me? Mm -hmm. And they would go and buy it for them. So they were the ones that had all the money (laughs) and they were trusted and respected and all this stuff. And they wound up being the bankers. I just, I love that is fascinating. I truly have never heard that story. That is amazing. It's really cool. When I was over there last time, we actually went. I told him, my husband, I said, we're going to go do some of the drovers roads because mm-hmm. I want to see really what right. they were up against. And I was shocked because <laughs> there were still sheep all over the place. But I mean, it was very steep and mm-hmm. treacherous and it was quite interesting. They called it the Roof of Wales, one of these drovers' roads, because it went up over the mountain. But anyway. No, I love that story. I think that is amazing. These are the kind of squirrels that I am completely happy to let run around through our podcast. (laughs) But, you know, it all fits together. Yes. And again, thinking how much could they afford to feed the dog? You know, what was the dog supposed to do? And, I mean, you talk about corgis were also supposed to keep down vermin. Mm-hmm. And they also use them on geese. Hurting geese, right? Yeah, geese and their livers and everything mm-hmm. were just wonderful to the Pate. whole world. <laughs> Yes. Have you ever seen a flock of geese? Oh, um, yes. Okay. And have you ever encountered them? And they're mean and They're mean buggers. <laughs> well, corgis would take a flock of 200 geese to market. Yeah. And keep them on the cotton picking road. <laughs> so, which is not easy to do. No, they had to be tough little dogs mm-hmm. and they would kill vermin up to badger. They mm-hmm. would kill fox. Mm-hmm. I think they'd more run them off. Yeah. But I, Corgi, they don't realize they're not a big no. dog. No, the only time I had a Pembroke in my house, I was thinking it was going to be a good companion for my grandmother. It was like a good size for her. So I was going to test drive it for her. Mm-hmm. And she came into my house and promptly informed the Akita that she was going to eat his dinner. And I'm like, oh boy, this isn't going to go well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I started with German Shepherd and my very first Corgi was a champion bitch I bought. And she walked in the house and kind of looked around. She said, yeah, I can run this joint. And she (laughs) did until the day she died. (laughs) And these are the things you really need to know about your dog. I mean, yeah, 
corgis are the darling of Instagram. Everybody just thinks their fluffy little butts are so cute, but they got another in and it's got teeth in it. You better get one with a good temperament. (laughs) Well, and I think for me, honestly, so much of Pure Dog Talk is about not just educating us within the fancy, providing knowledge, providing information for people, but also to provide something that you can say here. When you're thinking about buying a corgi puppy, maybe you should listen to this or, you know, whatever it is. And maybe it's a perfect fit and maybe it's not. And maybe you should know that first. (laughs) Well, they used to have a pamphlet, you know, that AKC, the parent club, stand out. And a statement, the best statement I ever saw is, do corgis shed? And the answer was yes, like a woolly mammoth. (laughs) Which is true because I'm just down from the table from my kennel. I just entered a bitch in some shows in January and I went out there and of course she's starting to blow all over. The minute the entries close, that's when they yeah. drop coat. Don't you know a story? Come on. But you know, though, what I found, and as a judge, I think this is why I kept adding breeds up to a certain point. I am fascinated. The more I learn about other breeds, the better I understand my own breed. Yes. And I love it when they do comparisons. You know, you would go yes. in seminars and they would mm-hmm. do um, comparisons. And it's just wonderful. Why is it a German short hair, not a German wire hair? Or the German short hair, the pointer, and the wire hair. My favorite is the wire hair, the Griffon, and the Spinoni. Those they, three, they're so the specific. Hair. Right. Mm-hmm. The coat's different. The head's different. The body's different. The size the is different. different. The outline is different. The movement is different. different. Yeah. Very much so. So all of those, I just love comparisons are like my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> well, you know, I tell people, even if you're not the least bit interested in judging or getting another breed or anything, if there's ever a seminar in your area, you ought to go to it. Mm-hmm. I went to a day with Wally Paday. Oh my gosh. Many, many, many years ago. Oh my gosh. Wally Paday, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he was peace work. He was a character. He was, but he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so I'm never going to own an Afghan hound. I've never owned a hound. I mean, you know, I figured five, but what the heck? You can always learn something. And I did. I took away from that. When you're a judge, you never judge 90% on one thing, like tooth fairies, you know, mm-hmm, where you look mm-hmm. up, missing tooth, and, you know, yes. throw them out. Right. right. <laughs> so you can learn something every time you go. I think that that's our entire goal here at Pure Dog Talk. Every single day, I learn something new. And I well, love what that. What do you think? I listen to it all the time. I love it. <laughs> You have brought me kicking and screaming into the 21st century. I'll tell well, you that. I appreciate that more than you know, Stephanie. I definitely do. It, and it is definitely that, a goal. 53 years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, mm-hmm. you can learn something. That's what's so good about it. Yep. It's, you're never going to know it all. It's the coolest job in the world, dude. What can I say? It it's fun. <laughs> it really, I like it. I really enjoy it. But oh again, back to our spinal column. Yes. You know. When the dog is in motion, and I would love to give this as a hint to people. Yes. If the judge tells you to take it around nice and easy. That means slow down. Yes. Please do not run your dog. And the reason being is if you run your dog and it has not such a great front, 
you are not going to be hiding anything. You're going to be like a big neon arrow sign pointing <laughs> your dog withers where the hair is bouncing up and down. As a judge, I don't have to know why. I just have to know, Ooh, we got a problem with that front. Now, don't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. So learn how to show your breed at this pace it should be shown. With an understanding that every single dog has a different speed that it's best at. Absolutely. And I mean, now there's no excuse, people. You have iPhones. Get out there, video your dogs. If you aren't sure, put that slow-mo on and watch what your dog is doing. I just told a handler to do that to a dog he showed me a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, she's doing something hinky with her rear. Would you go video that, see what's going on? Yeah, there you go. You know, it's so easy to do now. And I think that we miss a bet when we don't do it. Yeah. And I mean, you can do it with your puppies. Take Once you got your puppy broken, take them out, do it down and back, take them out, and, you know, go around and you've got to keep it on the dog as the dog right. is moving, not right. on anything else and do it in slow-mo. And then you can watch and you can think, oh, look, he is going a little circle Sideways, a little crossing yeah. over. Yeah. Because like we said last time, the whole idea is forward motion, yes. not lateral motion side to yes. side, nor vertical motion up and down. It should be yes. smooth and forward. And so here's our topic for next time, Stephanie. We've done fronts. We've done top lines. Now we're going to talk next time about movement and the proof is in the pudding. I know it's your favorite and it's pretty much oh, my yeah. favorite too. So I know. Absolutely. As always, it's been great. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You guys, I am so excited. I've been wanting to create a live call-in show forever. So finally, I decided to just do it. Dog shows, dog grooming, dog handling, dog breeding, you name it. Join the conversation live and get trusted answers to all of your questions. No more Facebook groups, no more 20,000 answers to the same question, just solid knowledge. Amazing. Start planning now. Visit the Pure Dog Talk Facebook page for a link to our YouTube live lightning round with Laura. Be on the lookout for live chat opportunities, special guests, they'll be a secret, live calls from the audience, and more. Let's kick off the new year in Pure Dog Talk style. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. 
The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.